It's time to clip your last good piece and dig in because the runout starts now. My prediction is that they're up there building a, like, you know, taking, you know, they've, they've sent people into space. Monkeys, too. Yeah. But they've, they've basically, you know, their space program's like charging ahead, trying to catch up with the U.S. or whatever. And they, they're using that technology and they're going to put some sort of like space level pod bolted above 8,000 meters that'll be this staging thing for all the shit, you know, the summit bids, like all the shit that goes down on the North Ridge that we read about with, uh, with Mark Sinnott's book take it off the map you have this like basically a hut that survives the monsoon just like you know shit can survive in space they can they have the technology and you can basically like be inside of it until the weather clears and then dash the summit and then dash back down to the pod they're going to totally just flatten the curve wow that's that's my prediction okay it goes with everything else man like they're they're paving roads they've got high speed rail to the to the um, base camp and all that stuff. A telephoric to the summit is out of the question because I don't think the technology ex- exists to build that and have it survive the monsoon. But so you certainly think they're building can, this like bougie uh, hut with an oxygen bar I, at 8,000 no, 8, meters? Not yet, but I think it's, it's a, like basically a survival pod or just, you know, like a shitty hut, but it's so bomber it could be shot into space and therefore you can go in it, seal the door and be like, you're sitting at, you know, sea level. Wow. I mean, that's basically a space pod. Recovery pod. Yeah. That's basically what a space pod does. If you open the door to the space pod, everybody dies. Yeah. So they, they have the technology to do this. They put it on the ridge, you know, when the winds come in the monsoon, it, it's strong enough to survive, and then they just why would go. they do that though? Because why would they? Why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't they make Everest this thing that anybody can do? Mm. It's like the whole ethos of the entire system. That's interesting. You know what I'm saying? Why would they? You know, have like a road and high speed rail to base camp? Yeah, I it, mean, they. I guess they can do whatever they want. Exactly. Yeah. And what do they usually do? Whatever they want. Exactly. They build whole <laughs> cities that no one even lives in, dude. Right? That's I mean, true. you've seen that, right? Oh, yeah. 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 And they totally. have like, they they do like technological feats just to prove that they can do them. Right. And that would be one of those. And mm. just to be like, oh, yeah, we can get you to Everest. No problem. I mean, it wouldn't make it like We easy, can grow easy, vegetables but, at 8,000 meters in our yeah, little. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But I mean, like. It would be interesting because all the things everyone complains about, or not complains about, but the the sort of uh, the 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 um, criticisms of what happens to you know all these idiots that are above eight thousand meters and shouldn't be. It would take that out of it because you would have this thing there, this rescue place or whatever, and it you know again you could literally have it you know like a a science fiction movie where. You go into an airlock and you go into the other side, and it's it's sea level. And it would I be mean, really cruel the, if they put that up on the summit on their side, right. and so everyone who comes up from the Nepal side 
could just have to they would like be able to look through this like glass wall that everybody like, just chilling just in chilling that. in hot tubs and yeah, like getting drinking, massages yeah. and at the oxygen bar and <laughs> sipping martinis totally and the, and they wouldn't be allowed in now, now you're 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 going into parody but i'm being serious this <laughs> will exist sooner or later there'll be some sort of station thing up there to allow people to stage their summit bid uh, in the safety of of something. Okay, that's that's my prediction of the How next decade. How much are decade. you willing to bet on this prediction? Uh, a decade? Do I get a decade? Yeah, within ten years. How how likely do you see this happening? Here's what we'll here's what we'll bet because this will this will be important in <laughs> ten years from now here on the Western Slope. I will bet you five gallons of water. Because <laughs> by the time this happens. Five gallons of water is going to be fucking hard to come by. <laughs> You're going to be like, but my kids need this water. I'll be like, no, dude, no, they you built have to pay it. Up. You got to give me my five gallons. And it's then I'll be- just shoot you with my gun. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, I need to, things are kind of bleak here on the Western Slope. Do you want to talk about Everest right now? Uh, we, we could talk more about Everest. That was just me coming, coming in hot on the, my Everest prediction. Well, let's just um, let's keep going with this because um, I just read an article today from our friend Alan Arnett, mm-hmm. friend of the pod. I don't know if he listens or not, but I'm just going to assume he does. I'm going to assume he does too because um, he's got a lot of time on his hands if he's an Everest person. Yeah, he's he's like the the blogger right in um, of Everest and at least in America, and uh, he he called this season the year Nepal broke Everest. Uh, you know, I've been following his blog for a long time. He's kind of like the cheerleader of the Everest scene. You know, he's very much in favor of basically everything that happens on there with like a critical eye for a few things. But he's, mm-hmm. he is the client who gets, who wants to go up these mountains and is also the, you know, the journalist who's documenting it from afar. So this post was, I would say, notably more cynical and just kind of or pessimistic right. about Everest than anything I've ever seen him write. You know, and he pointed to uh, a few things that happened this year, mostly around COVID and also these new regulations that uh, Nepal imposed around uh, sharing pictures on social media. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's right. Yeah, we talked to Mark about that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That they said, no, you can't do that. Yeah, you're not allowed to show or like take pictures that show things that are bad, basically. (laughs) (laughs) So this was an interesting year because the sounds like the CRT debate kind of yeah totally anyway, <laughs> can't talk about bad stuff that happened in America. Well, it's a CRT debate in that no one understands it. Also, so Everest canceled their season, and you know, I I wrote an article that was kind of talking about how COVID could basically decimate Nepal or a place like Nepal, and. It was an interesting story because, I mean, like basically every year people like hike all the way up to Everest Space Camp, they get super sick and like flu runs like rampant through these tea houses where it's like a close proximity environment. Everyone's staying in these little huts. It's like the, you know, like the perfect storm in terms of spreading virus. Mm -hmm. But it was interesting because last year, you know, nothing really happened in Nepal, at least from what we know. You know, there wasn't this huge outbreak. There wasn't a lot of deaths. There wasn't anything like this. And so this this article that I wrote sort of seemed, you know, like it, it kind of missed the mark in a way. 
Um, but it was just interesting that it just got delayed a year. And so right. this last year was the the perfect storm that my article from 2020 predicted would happen. And uh, Nepal just and India as well just got like completely fucked by COVID. And it happened right at the start of all of the tourism to Everest and all of the tourism to the mountains. So Nepal, the Ministry of Tourism came up with this new rule in January that was like, no photos of any bad shit, basically. Like, no photos of dead bodies, no photos of lines, no photos of, like, things that make Everest look bad. Like, only cool shit, basically. Only post cool shit. And um, and people took that seriously. And the guiding companies, as I understand it, were, like, enforcing these rules for their customers. Like, we will get banned from right, right, Everest they Base would, Camp. They would be the ones who, who got punished. Totally. Okay. It, I mean, it's a joke, but it was like a legit rule. And uh, and it's just interesting that that's how that played out. Like, we, I, I think we've at some points just joked about, like, how the hell are they going to, like, enforce this rule? But basically it was enforced through, you know, the cash cow being... Right, a threat of pulling your permit and you don't get the guide anymore. Absolutely. Right. That was, like, the start of it. It was kind of this ominous start. And then the the virus exploded... And as the virus was like wreaking havoc through this valley, all of the Western and other guide companies that were in Everest Base Camp were watching the virus like hit Sherpas, hit people on their, hit their customers or whatever. They're called members, I think they call like, you know, their clients or whatever. And sending out these like very uh, weird updates that were just like, no COVID here. We're testing everyone. We're doing everything by the books. Everything's right. super safe. Everything's great. And so everyone was like p- playing part of this, like, you know, this like 1984, like weird disinformation hellscape. Right. Basically. Because they're not allowed to say anything bad is happening. Yes. Jesus Christ. Yeah. It's really fucking weird. And um, so basically they had all these rules in place. They were very cautious about. Oh, and and before so before even people were you know gung ho about coming to Nepal for trekking and Everest tourism, the Ministry of Tourism in Nepal said we're going to you know test people, make sure you're vaccinated, whatever. Like they had all these kind of protocol, basic protocols like vaccine style passports, and no one started signing up. And so apparently, according to what I read on Alan Arnett's site. They basically just threw like threw all of those rules out right. and started seeding the press with stories about how it's open, permits are like available, come to Nepal and because basically they were like, We can't lose two years in a row of money. Right. And so they started inviting all these people in. You know, subsequently it was an outbreak so bad that they literally closed the airports down and like no one was allowed in or out of the country because it was so many people were like getting sick and dying. Saw that they had $4.2 million in Everest permits alone came from this push to like bring people into the country. Now, you know, there were a lot of uh, Everest guide companies that did not come this season. They pulled right. out, but second tier, third tier operators were just like, yeah, fuck it, we're going. And there was one company from. Austria, Furtenback Adventures that 
had 20 members, four guides, and 27 Sherpas. And they basically just ended their expedition mid-season. They were like, we're not doing this anymore because the Sherpas were getting sick. They were like, we can't send people to altitude with this like, you know, oh, respiratory yeah. illness. respiratory disease. Yeah. yeah. A respiratory illness. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, it w- it's, it's totally wild. And but they, what was interesting is they specifically called out the fact that it wouldn't be the Sherpa's decision because they would they need to work or whatever, right. and so they were like, "It's not fair to, you know, uh, to 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 make this decision just part of our members. You know, they it, we need to just like consider the 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 fact that we're employing people to to help them out and get to the summit or whatever, and right. so that's not it's not fair, and so like the whole thing's fucked, and we're just pulling out." So good for them for doing that. A lot of people did not do that. There were, you know, over 500 summits this season, all from Nepal, no one from China. And the other interesting thread that Alan called out was that there was this like really odd ratio of the number of like, you know, members, which, you know, you can read as like the rich Westerners and uh, Sherpa summits. So 195 members to 339 Sherpa summits, which he identified as just a really interesting development in Everest. Apparently, that ratio has changed to become more Sherpa heavy because, you know, when you go to, when you get your Everest package, you can check the box for, you know, extra oxygen or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so if you're, if you start, you know, sucking oxygen at camp two, you basically need another human body there to carry the oxygen up for you to okay. to get you all the way to the top, and so so if you want more oxygen, that means more people, more people to carry your oxygen. Exactly. Right. It used to be this one to one ratio of Sherpa to climber, but now it's like you know one to one point two three right. four whatever it is, and it sounds like a lot of people are starting their oxygen at camp two, which you know, I don't know what that elevation is exactly, but lower than previous years and so basically you know i don't don't know it all contributed to this very pessimistic outlook in alan arnett's mind which i thought was significant in and of itself because he's such a cheerleader about this whole scene yeah he's he's definitely been the counterpoint a lot of times to yeah the the normal criticisms and things like that for years frankly and you know and, and a good source and a good you know kind of person to say like okay well it's not all bad or it's not you know you need both sides of, of every story he's been that that side so yeah it's it's a little bit shocking but that that he would do that but not shocking that it's occurring yeah you know because it's like so many things that were teetering i think are being broken by this by covid and by this last year and that in the in the sort of like financial pyramid if you will is is the thing really here that the year without a season there just kind of blew the base off of it. And like you said, looking at another season like that, where Nepal's gonna miss out on this income that's so important. The Orwellian aspect of the no information right. and and the control of information through avenues that might not there's no necessary reason for people to lie, you know, other than there's financial interests at stake. Sure. And to see that, the way that played out, I thought was really fascinating and dark. Yeah, super dark. Yeah. Especially if everybody's pretending it's all good when it's, I mean, if you're watching the news and and our friends, the Jesse Hugh and Quentin Roberts were there and got stuck there with this whole shutdown of the 
the airports and just kind of a, amongst it as well and had their own thoughts about it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's just like the cracks were there and this thing kind of sort of blew it apart. And the Chinese, you know, they don't have the financial incentive to let people onto their side of the mountain. It's not like their basic, like China's like whatever percentage of their GDP is not Everest. So they could give a shit. So they well, shut yeah, it down. I mean, like, just think about $4.3 million mattering that much to a country. Right. To a country. You know, exactly. Yeah. That's like a weird thing for us in the West to think about. Right. Yeah, exactly. Like Bezos has got more money than a bunch of these countries combined over there. China. Yeah. They don't care. So they just shut her down and have reported no summits is what you said. Come on, some of them climbed it. Well, the, apparently there were forty uh, Chinese people on the mountain, but they didn't summit. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, maybe they could have been building that. They're building the thing, but you don't the have thing, to go yeah. to the summit because it's not on the summit, right? Yeah, I mean they're going to keep a little integrity to it. I feel like they're missing the opportunity it's, though to shame all the people who come from Nepal to like see their lavish lifestyle on the other side on the, on yeah, the Chinese. It has side. to be close enough to see it. Yeah, <laughs> I mean it's going to be lit up, so there's you'll you'll be able to see it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have a big, like, giant McDonald's, like, neon well, <laughs> logo no, sign. They're not, no, they're not going to, yeah. I don't know what's going to happen, but um, it's going to be, there's going to be something there, some way in which to mitigate this issue of, like, the whole shitstorm that happens um, either above or below the third step. It'll be up there. Five gallons of water it is. When I watched that, when I watched that video, uh, or when I watched the video from, from Mark's climb because I went back and watched the National Geographic stuff. Um, mainly to, Mark's you know, in it, yeah, Mark's in it stuff, and and mainly because I knew Renan Alstrick had been part of it, and and you know you can't go wrong with what he decides to shoot. So, but yeah, watching and looking at the side of that mountain there, I just envisioned. I've seen them elsewhere. I've seen these huts, like even in New Zealand, like kind of bolted and chained on like a. Not as gnarly as that, but like into the into the rock. Oh, totally. It gets stormy, and I was like, they could do it. And then I thought, if they can do it, they will do it. Yeah, yeah. I don't understand. I mean, like you bring up a good point because I don't see the incentive not to. Right. Make it a little easier. Yeah. You know, and 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 then if you think about like right, like the bad press of uh, you know, we're talking about Nepal, like getting this bad press, like Everest bodies all over the place, like. That's another thing the Chinese love to control mm-hmm. and that everything's great and, and it's all good here in China and we're the best at everything. Like, there you go. You can mitigate all of that by having this basically like rescue unit right there. And it would just very quickly, you could see how it would very quickly become a thing that no one would feel ashamed to admit to totally. having taken advantage it's part of. of it. Yeah, it's just part of it. It's just mm-hmm. the thing that we do when you climb Everest. Yeah, you stop by the the pod. You get, you get a latte and a... I don't know what Chinese for pod is, but that's what it will be called. <laughs> <laughs> well, when uh, when they put that in, then then I'm going to Everest. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll go then, right? <laughs> get a little, get a little some noodles and and a and a some sort of hot drink on your way to the summit. Sounds good to me. I might just stop there, actually. Yeah, yeah that's I, it. That is yeah. the summit. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the summit bar and grill. <laughs> Dylan Taylor is a professional route setter for Touchstone Climbing in Los Angeles. 
His comedy Instagram account is Climberisms, where he shares his impressions of professional climbers dubbed over videos. Like the first Honol video I did was very short, mm-hmm. it was like eight seconds. But like in order to hold that voice, it was really really hard for me. So I literally practiced that voice for just like eight hours one day until <laughs> I got that shit. <laughs> There's a lot of like screaming at my phone because I do my shit in my phone. I was like, "Fuck, I can't." Oh, it doesn't sound like him. So like watching an interview of him and I like record myself and I'd watch myself like, fuck, it does not sound like him. <laughs> how do you know to, how to like change your voice or change the inflection? Or is it just like trial uh, and error that you're, you're just trying to make it sound like A to B? Um, I have always just been doing impressions like my whole life. I've, since I was a kid, I've always liked to change my voice. And I don't even think I'm that great at impressions. I, I have a, like, I obviously can do a few, but. I like coming up with my own voices mainly. I like doing my own shit, but obviously no one sees that because there's no, I don't have like a, I can't make up a character in poster or whatever, but I like coming up with my own voices. Tell us about how you got it into the Climberisms account. When did that start? And what was your maybe vision for what, what you're trying to do with this Instagram account? Okay. So I was probably like 2021 at the time. I was living in Florida at On the Edge in Melbourne. Dope gym. Some of my closest friends come from that gym. I wish I, I need to keep in touch with them more. I'm not very good at that. I've always been a fan of comedy, I guess. Going back to the skating days, I, I, that's when I first started learning I could do impressions. Was It's funny, like it, it had nothing to do with voices either. Like I just like to impersonate like professional skateboarders, like the way they actually skated. And that's when I kind of started learning that I had a... I didn't even know at the time, maybe I was so young, but now that I'm looking back, like that's when I first kind of knew I could impersonate people. Like, I'd be at the ramp and people would be like, oh, impersonate Bob Burnquist, Dylan. Uh, uh, okay, uh, sure. Oh, impersonate uh, Andy McDonald. Oh, okay, sure. I, I remember one time I, like, I did an impression of Bob Burnquist and, like, the dude's super, sorry if I'm, like, going off the side of the, I'll get I'll get to the climbers and it'll twine in, hopefully. Um, Go for it. So I was, doing, I was doing an impression of Bob and, like, I, I, Bob is very dramatic as a human being. Like, when he falls, like, fucking fine. Like, you're not hurt, Bob but he takes like 45 minutes to get off the ramp. That's over-exaggerated, but he takes a long time. It's like, Jesus, dude, like get off the ramp. I'm going to have to go on the mini ramp and fucking warm up again, dude. He just like rolls around, he like puts his hands in his face. And I was doing an impression one day and I slammed really hard and I broke my wrist doing an impression of Bob. And then I was like, I looked at my arm and I was like, that shit's broken. So I was like, fuck it. Like Bob's dramatic. I'm going to be dramatic. I'm going to, the show goes on. So I just like, I took like 20 minutes to get off the ramp. I was like putting my, my broken arm in my face. Like, Oh, everyone's like laughing, but like, fuck your arm's broken, dude. Like it was like 12 or something. And I think a couple of days later I had my cast on and I went to Bob's house because he has the mega ramp there. And I was watching my brother train and Bob like comes up to me. He's like, Dylan, um, at the time, like he's my fucking idol. I'm like, Oh shit, Bob. He's like, I heard you broke your arm. I was like, yeah, yeah, I broke it. Broke that shit. And he's like, I heard you broke it making fun of me. I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. I did. I did. I did. He's like, ha, ha, ha. That shit's funny, Dylan. Nice. And he just walked away. I was like, hi, dude. All right, so that's, when I, that's how I got into my You were like, that was so, so worth it. I was like, oh, my broke arm. I was like, fuck yeah, I got to break this shit again doing somebody else. No, I'm just kidding. I, don't want I think I was breaking my arms a lot during that time. And then, yeah, so fast forward back to Florida, um, I was like, man, I fucking, like, love Jim Carrey. Like, I love, like, 
doing impressions and like being funny. Like that shit's great. But like I'm in Cocoa Beach. How can I be funny in Cocoa Beach? You know, like I was like, why don't and it was my friends. I think my friend like my my friend Cole, Noah, and Keelan. Want to just start making like some funny videos? I wasn't trying to like get a following or anything like that. It, it was just kind of like for us, um, just literally for fun. And made a couple videos when I actually like showed my face in videos. Um, the voiceover stuff, I guess, is pretty recent. But yeah, we started posting videos and like people started kind of slowly following. Like I don't know how, but they just started following. And I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. Like it kind of like motivated me. I was like, I really like being funny. This is, this is a really great time. And I just kept doing it. And I kind of got to the point where like, I really wanted to leave Cocoa Beach. Like I always kind of knew I wanted to be in Los Angeles because um, I guess I want to be an entertainer of some sort. And this is the place to be. And I was like, you know what? Like I'm going to try to use climberism as catalyst, like a way to get into the climbing world without climbing B15. <laughs> So that was like my goal, like way early on. I'm, like, I'm just gonna keep doing this shit. And I'm gonna move to LA or not LA. I think I moved to Orange County at first. LA kind of came later. Um, I was like, I'm gonna move to California and like hopefully my climberism will get me opportunities in the climbing world. I guess that's what kind of happened. <laughs> so well, I've been following your account since before the impression days and when you were just making oh, really? like, goofy goofy stuff. Oh, yeah, cool. like I, I'm I just like remembering one of you did a brushing video where the brushing just got more and more extreme and more fine tuned oh. and more like fine combed. Like I've always appreciated the the humor you've brought to your account. And um, yeah, thank you. But the, 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 uh, the recent spate of videos that you've been doing, I feel like have are kind of on a different level. Give us like a, a sense of like how you pick your, which videos to choose and which climbers to impersonate and where does, um, that creative process come from man i don't honestly like kind of kind of just came to me on a whim i just got this idea i think i was taking a poop when i got the idea actually <laughs> <laughs> i literally i think someone posted like the the chris sharma video like it was that real rock of him doing witness to fitness and i was like on the toilet and i was like this is cool and i was like <laughs> man you know what i'm gonna go in my iMovie and just try to like talk over this shit and uh <laughs> So literally accidental, like I just I did it. I did the voiceover. Did you have like and, a, but did you have like a, you had a Sharma impression that you'd been, you know, you'd been bantering around the, uh, the climbing gym or what? Um, yeah, have, I've always know, had like a yeah. Sharma impression, but like way yeah. before the voiceovers and stuff. Um, so I, I definitely knew that I, I always knew I could impersonate Daniel Woods, Sharma and Andre's actually recent. I had no idea I could impersonate him. Um, but yeah, Sharma and Daniel, like I always felt like I could impersonate like way before the voiceovers. Um, but yeah, I just like, I posted that video and at that point I was like very done with climbers and I was completely over it. Like I didn't really post anything. I post stuff occasionally, but there was no intention by it. I wasn't right. looking any other direction of comedy. Like I was over it. Like I thought my page was completely fucking dead and, um, just kind of started using it as like a personal account. But yeah, I posted it and like I opened my phone and it's just got all these views and I see like Sharma like put a comment with a laugh face. I'm like, what in the <laughs> fuck is going on, dude? <laughs> that was gonna that's interesting. That was gonna be one of my questions if you had like a sense of whether or not uh these guys listen to watch your your climberisms. But yeah, right off the bat you got one from Chris, huh? I did not expect that at all. I wasn't trying to get a reaction from him. I just 
did it for like a joke. I thought my friends would see it and be like, oh, funny, Dylan. And then once right. it kind of, that video took off, like I just did not stop making videos and now I'm obsessed with it and want to keep doing it as long as I can. <laughs> you know, Andrew was talking about the, the bad lip reading and one of the elements of that is that the, the, the guy or whatever chooses words that it, you know, literally looks like what they're really saying. And, and, and you get oh, okay. pretty close too. do you have like any sort of craft with that? Or, you know, are you trying to kind of match like, I mean, you have to match sort of the pacing of, of them talking. Like, is, is there, I mean, are you like working on a craft as far as like the technicality of any of this, or is it just, uh, you know, kind of one, two takes and going for it? Oh yeah, it's uh, it's straight going for it. Like, like I said, I do this shit on my phone. Like, I literally like have my phone up to my face like this, and I'm like, it's weird because I like to match up the voices. Like, I don't, I wouldn't say I match it up perfectly all the time, um, but like I really try to match it up when like say they do like a hand gesture or something, like something kind of very obvious. Like, um, and I'll try to like, I'll try to at least match those parts up. So people are like, oh, he matched it up. And then I can kind of go off a little bit. And it's almost like maybe people forget a little bit. Um, but yeah, I'm literally like, I'm talking into my phone and the phone's like downwards, but I'm like looking at my screen at the same time because I'm, I'm trying to like follow their like, I'm trying to, yeah, like match it up. So I'm like talking and like looking to like match it up. And yeah, a lot of the times it takes a lot of takes, a lot of fucking takes. Do you write your pieces out? Do you, or is it all just improv? You just going for it? Yeah, I, I never write anything out. I feel like I, I have tried writing stuff out, but I feel like once I start writing stuff, I just start overthinking and I get the video and um, kind of, I just come up with it right there on the spot, kind of. Sometimes I'll improv like a little bit. A lot of the time I'll like do a quick recording and I'm like, okay, I kind of like where that went. And I was like, oh, I could maybe add a little bit more oomph to that one or I could maybe say a little. So I kind of just build off each take. But they, unless it's like Daniel Woods, I can just do one take and be done. Or <laughs> Andre, Andre, really fucking easy. Just like usually one or two takes, but yeah, Honold is like a hundred takes, and me cursing myself out. Or like, oh, Charm is easy as well, and I don't know who else. Like, Mega's kind of hard, and yeah, it's definitely not all easy. It's pretty difficult. <laughs> so you're sitting in your van, just like working on these impressions. Um, oh, straight up, yeah. You know, yeah, and 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 there. I mean, I have. As sort of a comedy fan as well, especially having, um, you know, listen to interviews with like the great Night live impressionists like Bill Hader and stuff, you know, there is like a, there is a method and a craft to it. Have you ever looked into that as, as a, as a study or anything like that in terms of like, you know, like I've heard that one of the things that a lot of impressionists do is they, and, and you seem to do this as well, maybe just naturally is like grab hold of one like really distinct you know, phrasing, or it might be a gesture because a lot of times, you know, the on-screen impressionists are doing, you know, the full body kind of impression. So, you know, have you ever like looked into the, the actual sort of craft of it at all, or is it all just sort of coming naturally at this point? Yeah, no, I've, I've never looked into the craft of it at all. Like I don't even, it, I, I, like you said, I love <laughs> Bill Hader and stuff, but I don't even watch, watch a lot of comedy. I watch a lot of sad shit and dramas and, stuff that makes you start crying and shit. I really, I don't, I don't, I don't, I try to watch comedy. My friends are like, dude, you gotta, you gotta watch this new, I watched that new Bo Burnham thing though. That was amazing. I don't know. I'm not even at like stand-ups even hard for me to watch unless it's like, I like George Carlin and 
Richard Pryor and like the old kind of stuff like that. Mm -hmm. That stuff's amazing to me. So, you know, part, part of what you're doing, I mean, it's just, it's not just the impressions, but there's some pretty, sometimes pretty biting satire. I mean, impressions always have some satire in them because you're, you're sort of uh, amplifying, like, like I said, you're amplifying the quirks and, and the strangeness of them. But, you know, at times in the most recent one, you know, you're really kind of digging in and making fun of these guys. Do you have a line that you've crossed with, with recording where you're like, okay, maybe I can't, I can't post that. Or are you ever trep trepidatious about, you know, the most recent one was the alien giraffe, I believe the illegal alien mm -hmm. giraffe about Andra. You know, do you ever like sit back and go, okay, maybe, I don't know what's going to happen with this one, you know, as you sort of poke fun at our favorite heroes. Oh yeah, dude. I, dude, you have no idea how much anxiety this shit gives me. Every video I do, I'm just like, <laughs> my pits are just like fucking wet. I'm like, I don't know about this, dude. And I, I literally send everything straight to my girlfriend. I'm like, how is this? It's like, is this good? Like, is this okay? Am I going too far? I, I, I never know. And she's usually the one that's, you're fine. You're fine, baby. Like, just fucking post it. Like, it's fine. Like, but yeah, I was actually kind of nervous with the giraffe one. I was like, oh, shit, dude. Like, what I like being called a giraffe? I don't know. <laughs> I was like, I mean, I do watch comedy. I'm not saying I don't watch comedy. But yeah, when I watch stand-up comedians, like, they say gnarly shit. And like, I'm like, what is art? What is art or comedy without saying gnarly shit? Like, it's not, you kind of want to punch people in the face, in my opinion, with this stuff. And if you're not punching people in the face or maybe upsetting them sometimes, like you might be not doing it right. I'm not saying like you need to say stuff that's like really outlandish, like actually offensive. But I think if you do comedy and it does make people think a little bit or maybe frustrate them a little, but not in like trying to be too harmful about it, I think that's where the best comedy comes from, from what I've watched at least. You know, we occasionally do some stuff on here that is like, I'm like, I don't know if we should put that out or whatever, but um, mm -hmm. yeah, but I mean, I, I was just curious about that, whether you have this sort of uh, constitution to just be like, the hell with it, let's see what happens kind of kind of thing. I'm, I'm getting better at the hell with it thing. I, I talk to the Rock Talk dude every once in a while and talk to him about like kind of my, my anxiety with it. And he was just kind of like, just put it out there, like, even if you think it's bad, like, who fucking cares? Why Why does it matter if it's good or bad? And I was just like, damn, dude, like, you're right. I'm just going to run with it. As long as I'm not saying anything, like, really hurting someone, I don't want to hurt anybody. You know, like, the drafting, I feel like, you know, I don't think it's, like, incredibly hurtful, but... That, that's interesting that you just brought up the Rock Talk guy, who, um, if listeners don't know, it's a meme account that, you know, pokes fun at climbing culture and climbers. I guess this is one thing that Chris and I wanted to ask you about is just how just I or just like place a flag on this shift in where where climbers can be humorous, because I think what Chris is getting at a little bit is there is a little bit of a hesitation or just trepidation to be over the top and to you know cross the lines and get yourself in trouble and we're just living in a moment right now where it seems you could step on a landmine just by sneezing in the wrong direction and, and blow up your whole life by you know pissing the wrong person off and so humor has this especially high risk attached to it right now the rock talk guy um you know there's they're of the benefit of having sort of an anonymous account in a way, you know, there's certainly insiders who know who, who 
he, they are, but it's, you know, for all intents and purposes, it's an anonymous account. You're putting your face on this and your name and stuff. And so you're a little bit more vulnerable in a way, which I respect a lot more, not to throw shade at the rock tuck. But yeah, I I just want to like put that down as like a, a an issue to consider because I know I have a lot of that trepidation just being a writer and a writer who's, you know, written humorous, humorous columns over the years and it's gotten into trouble for, you know, pushing boundaries and stuff. So, I mean, like Instagram wasn't around when I was first writing my, you know, like so-called humor columns for Rock and Ice. So <laughs> so-called humor. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So the genres change, it's become more visual, it's become more meme centric, it's more um, sound bitey, it's more interactive in a way. And I'm fascinated by it. I'm really like, I think it's cool to see what Rock Talk is doing and what you're doing and see how humor survives and thrives in an environment where there is so much uh, red tape around things you can and can't say. So it's so yeah. important because like humor is how we grapple with tough issues that we're uncomfortable with. Like it's, it's the thing that alleviates the, the anxiety that we feel around the difficult subjects that we are afraid to talk about. Um, so the humorist and the comedian and the joker, those are in vital roles in a functioning society and in, in a functioning healthy culture. So yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts on how do you, see your role, I guess, in terms of your social responsibility, in terms of allowing people to just give them that release, you know, that like little bit of that laughter over the thing that you can and can't say, or you shouldn't be allowed to say, but you're saying it. Yeah, it's actually really hard. I think comedy, I think comedy nowadays, especially is incredibly difficult. The world has gotten to kind of a heavy place. There's a lot of heavy topics. And it's difficult sometimes, like, I feel like if I was doing climberisms like in the 80s or 90s or early 2000s, like it'd be a totally different story. Like if you go look at any of like stand up stuff from back in the day, it's just like, it's like that would not slide nowadays, like at all. But maybe like people that are pushing it are like maybe like Dave Chappelle and stuff, which I have a lot of respect for. Like he's kind of got like this old fashioned way of going about his jokes. And it's just like nowadays, like if you're going to joke about something heavy, Like you really have to articulate your words into a way like if I was having a normal conversation with somebody and I talked about those topics in a way without humor, like it would go maybe totally in like an offensive way. Like, why are you saying that? But I think the goal maybe with the comedy, I don't know if I go this heavy with my stuff. It's all kind of rock climbing jokes, but you can formulate it the right way. And if it's like a topic that, you know, might need to be talked about. I think humor is like the absolute best way to go about it. It's the best way to get people to, to think about heavy subjects and uh, comedians are just, I think so incredibly important, especially, especially nowadays. So what's your goal with this thing? I mean, uh, you're having fun. You're, you're getting some attention. Is what's, there, is what's there a, a wider? Yeah. What's your Don? What's, Don Don Wall, what's your Don? Oh your Don God. Wall impression? I, like who's? who's you the, don't have a Tommy. Who's? It seems like a Tommy would be easy. Do you have a Tommy? Oh, I do have a Tommy. I just did my first Tommy, uh, like a oh. few videos ago, I think. Yeah. Oh, He's like I telling, must have missed it. He told Andre, like, "Yeah, fuck you, dude." Basically, like. Oh, that's right. I did see that. You're dude, right. That okay. so Andre's like, I, yeah. He's like, I did a Don Wall and fucking like, I got a week. And Tommy's like, 
fuck you, dude. Like, I have a missing finger. Like, that's not a good impression. I got that's another one that I have to really focus on. Dude. Those were bad. I can't do that on one, the whim. One finger, two finger. Yeah, you're, you're ignorant to the truth, Tommy. Yeah, I love that. So good. I, just, I love making Adam just a straight up douche. Like, I don't think he is. And like, so many people like message me and like they think I'm like literally like. Yeah, dude, Andre is a dick. Like, fuck that dude. I'm like, dude, I'm not trying to like comedy. Like, I, I don't think he's a fucking dick. Like, I'm just doing this. I'm just creating a character that's like, I'm trying to do the opposite of what Andre would be. Like, him being like, I do steroids. Like, he doesn't do steroids. Like, I just want to do things you would never think that person would ever do. Like, yeah, what yeah, totally. comedy, you know? Well, well, part of the reason that what you're doing is so funny is that we've been inured to, you know, a decade plus of climber interviews where they just serve the most boring pablum possible. You know, they all say the same thing. They're all very psyched. They're all very respectful. They're all very. Eat them so yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so. <laughs> so the the acerbic tone of it, you're you're like giving voice to what they might be really thinking underneath and and that Andre Tommy video is you know Tommy's the nicest guy in the world of course but there's probably a part of him who's just like for fuck's sake Adam Andre just like shit all over the dawn wall like dude, fuck he's got to be you know? thinking that like you yeah, got to be thinking that dude <laughs> <laughs> absolutely and so uh and so that's why that video is funny and um and so that's there's like a there's an honesty there, you know, you're giving you're giving Tommy the honesty to air his, you know, the the small the smallest part of him who's probably a little bit bitter that some some fucking guy yeah. from the Czech Republic just came and walked up his, you know, 10 year project or whatever. Um. So and that's why it's so good. I love that shit. Yeah, yeah, thank you. It's my uh, encounters with Andre was was awesome. He's a super nice guy, as far as I could tell. I don't know, maybe there's behind the scenes, but that again, that's what's funny is like because it's like, dude, the guy is the best, and and you would the like him best, to just dude. suddenly just be like, just be like, look, everybody, <laughs> I'm the fucking best. Like, what yeah, the fuck? yeah, yeah. like I am the best. There's, we're not talking about this anymore. Yeah, yeah. You know? Like, and it's like I want to say it for him, and that's kind yeah. of the funny, the, the fun, uh, definitely the funny parts about it is that, yeah. you know, and it's it's like, kind of like part of the job to be sort of humble towards other people, and you know, yeah, I, I might have done that climb, but so and so maybe did it this, way. you know, you, you're all, well, not everybody, but a lot of times that's part of the job, especially as a professional climber, is to is to you know give accolades to other people, and and with guys like him you're just like dude come on just like just fucking say it, in it so just say it i'm yeah. fucking out of mudra just say it dude like because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you are if you say that yeah. i'll be like yes adam like yes yeah, you say totally. that shit all day <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah and that's why it's funny and if you could you know you could do the opposite with another climber who talks too much shit you know and and it would be funny in a different way but it's like andre yeah. we want him to be, be in his in his skin you know the way the way i would be like if i climbed five five flash to 515 i'd be like fuck yeah like, dude, I'd be look like, at me i'm fucking the king <laughs> exactly just everywhere i go so, yeah, just middle he, fingers like <laughs> i mean i think in some ways the human is humanizing them is a little bit because we have put these folks on these pedestals you know and uh even in this weird little way and climbing but yeah sort of bringing them back down is is a, a little bit of a service to the to the community in a way mm -hmm. yeah i think 
someone commented on, I forget which video it was, maybe it was a few days ago. Oh, it was Jakob. I did a Jakob Schubert, Schubert, or whatever his last name. I think I said Schubert or something. But I did a video of him being like, like, oh, he just can't be happy for me. Like, I he fucking wings all the time. And then someone commented, they're like, yeah, like, kind of like, fuck at him. Like, he was a dick to me when I met him. I'm glad he won. That's not what I'm what I'm getting at, like, with this at all. <laughs> like, I'm not trying to, You can't take the comments too seriously. I know, I know. Um, I look at them too much. My my friends are like, Dylan, you got to stop doing that. I'm like, yeah, I know. Yeah. The, uh, are you workshopping it? You want to workshop anybody here right now? I mean, you, you did a quick, uh, you did a quick uh, Andrew Bisharat today, which, <laughs> or whenever you posted that one, I saw it today. I, my only um, complaint with that was that you weren't mean enough to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah you dude, I'm if you're if I get you again, I'll try to be more ruth, ruthless. Yeah, please do. There's there's so much to make fun of. I mean, <laughs> Andrew and I have very little video footage of ourselves out there, though. It's a you're in some like real rock stuff, though. You know, like I see you out there sometimes. I've I've yeah. been uh, I've been blessed with being in the real rock films, talking about climbers who climb four hundred times harder than me. Yeah, I basic I have the I have the aid ramp, but it's already like I don't know. It's it's pretty deep parody to begin with. So it was um, literally the first YouTube video. Yeah, (laughs) it feels like it. But it's funny because I had the same reaction where it was all just like bullshit, tongue in cheek, and it like just incited this whole like semi-violent war online about whether aid climbing was legit or not. You know, and I was like, you guys, it's not the point. It's just I'm making fun of it it's just joking around like i don't want anyone to die in an a5 like you know what i mean no. <laughs> nobody wants that we don't want that right <laughs> so yeah so anyway, but but back to my question like you got anybody you workshopping you any any uh any impressions you're like uh in your van at night yelling mm. at yourself about <laughs> Well, let me, let me you don't have to my, give anything me, away. I can look through my phone real quick. I got a whole file of stuff I haven't posted because I'm just like, oh, I got a uh, Ian from Kilter Grip. I can't do his voice at all, but I tried doing something with him. I got a Nina Williams one. Obviously, I can't do a, a woman voice very well. That's why I don't do them that often. But yeah, I do. I have a lot of impressions where like they don't sound anything like them. Like the Jimmy Webb one obviously sounds nothing like him. Um, so when I when I come across the climber like that, I'm just like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm just gonna give them a totally outlandish voice. Or like, I'll try to look at like where they're from. I'm like, okay, Jimmy Webb's from the south. I'm just gonna make him a crazy ass redneck. Well, it's funny because I I think of uh, Ian Powell as like there's a much more physicality impression you could do of him. Plus, he always wears the same the same thing in his videos, and he uses his hands the same way. Oh, I already like, touched all about that. His- yeah, yeah. <laughs> Did all I made fun of yeah. all that. I won't give it away the video. I'll wait. If I made this video like months ago, I haven't posted it. <laughs> yeah, no, it's great. I mean yeah, I'm I yeah. I sort of like I want mine to come out, but like I said, I don't know if there's enough you video. Just shoot out me there, over maybe. a video. But oh, I'll do you. <laughs> <laughs> Shit, I could just record us right now and just do a voiceover of this. <laughs> I wanted to do <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing uh I'm waiting for my puppet to come up too in uh in uh in the rock hard podcast. So Yeah, who does the rock hard? I got a little savage with someone maybe the other day. I don't know. Was that is that you? I saw that. I saw that spat. No, we don't do that, but we know we know who they are. Um they called you out. They 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 were throwing down some um they were throwing down the claim that they do Alex Magos better than you do. Um, oh they do. So. 100%. Yeah, so those are, are fighting words, way better. I think. 
I was like, I'm not going to stop. Like, fuck it. Like, yeah, it's way better, but I ain't going to stop. <laughs> Me, no, I like, can't wait. I want you to delve back into history too. I want, I want some, I want some old school stuff. As oh, well, I just, so. yeah, I actually uh-huh. just did a Fred Nicole one of that old video he's in, like him in Europe or something climbing around. I literally just made that like two days ago. So, all right, that's some older stuff. I've been doing, I've been trying John Long a little. I think he's kind of funny. He's just oh, always, yeah, yeah, very, there's a lot like, there. You need to do uh, just, Kurt Smith from the Masters of Stone videos. Ooh, that I, I do need to watch the Masters of Stone. Yeah. yeah, there's 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 um endless material for you in the Masters of Stone. Yeah, but they're series. almost now they're almost like parodies Damn, of you're themselves. Right. You know, it's like <laughs> it's like parody itself because it's so dated. Yeah. you know, like yeah, there's Kurt some Smith videos for shaved hair and stuff. Totally. <laughs> yeah, there's there's some videos where I'm like, I don't think I can make this funnier than what it already is. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> and I think that's the case with a lot of those old VHS level or uh, age videos, you know. All right. So um, if you were Daniel Woods and we were signing off on our interview, what would how would Daniel say goodbye? I'll try. I never no. I've never do my impressions on the spot. Like if this shit sucks, just, you know, cancel that shit. You know, it's OK. okay. Uh, but I guess he'd be like, yeah, you like I just got to go out there. I'm pretty late to the skate park right now. It's getting kind of dark. There's no lights at the skate park. So I'm kind of excited that this interview is ending kind of early. I, there's kind of traffic. It's getting dark. I got to get to the skate park. And, you know, just like, dude, I got it. I got to skate, dude. <laughs> nice. On today's final bit, we're featuring an excerpt of John Long reading the engrossing first chapter of his new book, Icarus Syndrome, from D'Angelo Publications. As you luxuriate in the sound of Largo's deep baritone reading some of the best writing of his long career, know that you can hear the full 40-minute story and all the runout bonus material by becoming a Patreon at patreon.com slash runoutpodcast. And a hearty thanks to John Long for contributing this incredible reading to the runout. Icarus Syndrome by John Long Nine more hours to Heathrow. She was the only person sitting in first class, coiled in a window seat. I glimpsed her coming out of the bathroom stall up front, behind the pilot's cabin. When I paused in the aisle and she glanced over with her rowdy green eyes, I knew that was her. Which was impossible, because she was dead. I could picture it all from the moment we found her, and I hear her voice, frank as rain, how she'd probe us with questions and grab arms till she heard a true answer. I remembered her tattoo, barely visible under the reading light, a thin black line circling her wrist like a delicate bracelet inked on, with a small heart stenciled in the middle. And I could still see her face as she died. I'd watch it happen. I dropped into the aisle seat, and she gazed out the window at nothing. It was 10 p.m. and pitch black outside. Eight or nine years ago, I said, a woman tumbled off the Yosemite Falls Trail and got banged up, and we carried her down in a litter. Her name was Hope. She turned from the window, uncoiling a little in her seat. I wasn't sure if you were you or some creeper. Thanks for remembering my name. She reached out her hand, and I shook it and she held on for one minute longer, 
and that wave which changes everything. You'd climbed one of the big rocks and got all sunburned and had white stuff on your face. Zinc oxide. Hope smiled and said, You look like a radish with frosting on it. She could say wonky things and somehow make them sound normal. It's crazy you remembered that, I said. Who really forgets anything? Hope sipped a little wine from a champagne flute sitting on a tray table, and I imagined her springing back from the other side, straight into a Soho loft full of cubist drawings and Gutani wear. She jumped straight into everything. No breaks, no filters. What about Bama, she asked. How he got all tweaky and kept fussing over me like Uriah Heep. And the muscly guy, the med student. Chad, I said. He's a doctor now, up in Vancouver. He thought you were leaking inside. She hiked up her skirt, exposing a thin red scar rising off her belly button and over her stomach. My spleen. They took it. Ouch, I said, and I clutched my belly. I went back to school a couple days after the rescue and never heard back about you. I thought you were gone. Three times, she said. She'd twice been resuscitated in the helicopter, doctors had told her, and once more in the ER, where they transfused her with everything they had. She pressed her palms together, giving thanks. She talked a little more about battling back, how sometimes her knee hurt her at night, her words coming slower and slower. She had bruises on those memories. You seem okay now, I said. Better than I remember, and you look good then. Till the end. She shrugged and said, Well, I'm sort of rich and sort of famous these days. Congratulations. She threw her head back and laughed. Don't even act like you're impressed by that. She grabbed the wine but didn't drink it. I'm allergic to lies, she said, and I'm living one. I come clean with myself by the time we land at Heathrow, where I walk off this plane in rags. She wasn't Cinderella. She was buzzed on Pinot Blanc, and so thrown open and bombs away, sitting next to her felt like camping in an avalanche zone. So, what about you and your wingman, Bama, she said. You couldn't even look at each other. How do you remember that? She cracked a wintry smile, like I'd asked the stupidest question. Bouncing down the trail in the litter, there was lightning between you two, with me stuck in the middle, remember? Pretty much, I said. I asked Bama what happened between you, and he lied and said nothing happened. So did you. Remember that too, Sunburn? There was laughter in her, and her razzing felt like summer. But I had good reason to say nothing. I stood, and she took my arm. If you ever sort yourself out, tell me how you did it. She grabbed her wine and chuckled again. The flight attendant frowned as he pushed the cart past us and saw me homesteading in first class. Just leaving, I told the attendant. I glanced past Hope, not at her, and said, Glad you made it, Hope. I hustled to the way back, found an empty row, and crawled into the window seat. Nine more hours to Heathrow. Bama ghosted in and lowered into the aisle seat, all hate and grimace, like he was sitting on a stove. No telling where Bama had actually run off to. I'd only caught the rumors, but I could sense her presence. Bama stewing with the intensity of a thousand suns. Hope was the second person we'd lost on a rescue, both in the same month, 
and some intangible thing had flown from our lives, and we could never call it back. That was my last full season climbing in the valley, my last rescue, and I hadn't seen Bama till now. What Hope said, we never forget anything. You've just completed another episode of The Runout, a podcast from the sharp end of climbing. I'm Andrew Bisharat, and I run Evening Sends, the only climbing website on the internet. And I'm Chris Kalous, host of the Enormacast, the only other climbing podcast. Please leave a review of our show on iTunes, share an episode with your friends, and follow us on social media. We should be fairly easy to find. Drop us a line, let us know what you think. My email is andrew at runoutpodcast.com. And my email is chris at runoutpodcast.com. And also, please support our show. Go to patreon.com slash runoutpodcast and become a rope gun today. Mm-hmm.